0: Welcome everybody, we're very glad you're here. As we get ready to welcome our speaker today, I would like to invite you to get into a a bit of a reflective mood, think about community and what it means for you. And we're gonna start with two of my most favorite spirituals. I would like to welcome back Bev from China and uh, welcome everybody.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to our 2018 MLK Convocation. My name is Devon Kramer, and I serve on our Student Life Team here. I also serve on our MLK Planning Committee. This weekend, we reflect on our theme of beloved community. We take time to consider Dr. King's vision this year, 50 years after his assassination. I challenge you to take this time and space to think deeply about your contributions to your own communities. And I challenge you to work to uplift and continue to build the communities around us.
2: My name is Phil Waite, one of the pastors at College Mennonite Church, which meets here on Sunday morning in this space. I'm pleased to introduce Leonard Dow. Leonard is the first speaker in the Attlee and Winifred Beachy Peace, Justice, and Reconciliation Lectureship. Attlee and Winifred Beechey were longtime uh, peacemakers, They're, they both died now. They were active uh, in service with the Mennonite Central Committee in Vietnam uh, years ago, and are founders of the group known as Seniors for Peace, which exists to this uh, very day. Uh, it's a pleasure to see them honored in this way. Uh, the, the, this lectureship series is sponsored uh, jointly by Goshen College and College Mennonite Church and with generous support from Everence, for which we are grateful. Uh, Leonard has been a pastor for nearly 20 years at Oxford Circle Mennonite Church in Philadelphia and we've, uh, I've heard many speakers over the years for the King Lectureship here and I think Leonard's my favorite and and turns out uh, that he's has nearly 20 years of pastoral experience, was born in 1964 and is around six foot three inches tall. Um, and I think that may have something to do with it. We have a lot in common, Leonard. Except for I have hair and you don't. Other than that, um, Leonard also served as president of the nonprofit Oxford Circle Christian Community Development Association, which provides services to the community, including counseling services, job and small business development training, and after school activities. In addition, Leonard is the stewardship and development specialist for Everance. It's my pleasure to, uh, to invite you to join me in welcoming Leonard to this pulpit.
3: <laughs>
2: Thank
0: you, <brother>. Leonard. <laughs> Thank you. We also wear glasses, and you're also about 30 pounds lighter than I am. Good morning. My friends, it is uh, needless to say, we are living in a unique time in our country's history. What else would get a Eastern Mennonite University graduate to speak at a Goshen College convocation? (laughs) But the times we live in, there's a noticeable or heightened awareness, a critical analysis, in our country of whose lives is of value and who's not. And any number of national statistics tell us that and gives us a clear indication that sadly black lives do not matter in this country. Lower median income of African-American families across the national average. African-Americans have six times the uh, uh, higher incarceration rates. Than the rest of the our white brothers and sisters, higher death rates in our urban communities compared to other communities due to murder, lower life uh, expectation of African American men like myself, income disparity in the African American uh, household compared to white households. White 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 households has thirteen times more on average. Uh, uh, wealth compared to African-American, all of which as as an African-American causes me an ongoing heaviness at times in my spirit. But I am here this morning in the frigid, snowy, northern Indiana in January. It is rough out here, people. (laughs) Did you get that? You gotta pray for this brother. He's got a tough job here for the next uh, little bit. (laughs) He didn't say that, did he? (laughs) Uh, But I'm here this morning to share with you as a fellow follower of Jesus, that I still hold out hope that we, the church, that you as young people, not the future of the church but the present of the church, that we, with God's help, were able to bring about what King called the beloved community. And this is what we find in the book of Philemon, how hope, how the strength to love, though in short supply today, is possible. Because when we look at the long view of Scripture, and we look at, say, at Pentecost, where there, when the, when the Spirit of God came to a small group of people, Peter responded and said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men, like me, will dream dreams. Even my servants, even those whose lives don't matter. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they too will prophesy. According to Christ, or according to Scripture, our class, our gender, our race, and race is a modern construct, our privilege, our authoritative positions, or professional titles, titles is no longer to be used as a hammer to the nail to people, to, mail, to nail people into submission, into oppression. God says that when the Holy Spirit comes into us and into our relationships, not just with God, but with one another, that all our relationships have to be evaluated. Our marital relationships, our family, our work, our neighborhood, our church relationship. We no longer are to operate in the fellowship out of the paradigm of the world of Democrat, Republican, or left and right, or MSNBC, or Fox News. Rather, we are invited as followers of Christ to operate in, in the same spirit and the mindset of Christ. We, who being the very nature of God, this is Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own events. Rather, he, Jesus, made himself nothing by, making, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and John the revelator gives us a prophetic glimpse of where we are headed as a people belonging to God in Revelation 7 9 after this I looked it says and therefore before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb and it says they were wearing white robes and they were holding prom branches and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. The Reverend King, who we celebrate today, puts that type of understanding of of, of celebration, of of coming together. He says, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. But how do we get to there from here? How do we begin to include or imagine that Revelation 7-9 passage? I have come to understand in my nearly 20 years experience as pastor of a wonderful multicultural congregation. Of, it was uh, Puerto Rican, it was uh, African-American, there were Anglo, there were Filipino, there were uh, uh, Mexican, there were Haitian, there were a combination of all that together. That being together, worshiping together, though further along than most of the church, is not enough. Being warmed by the fire of diversity isn't what I believe we see in Scripture and what God is calling us and what King is desiring for us to be as as it relates to a beloved community. I believe God desires not only for us to be warmed by the fire of diversity, I believe God desires us to be consumed and shaped by that fire, the same fire that consumed Pentecost. Not one amen. (laughs) Some of you were with me this morning, and so that should have been the perfect pregnant pause for you to join in. And I would like to suggest for our study this morning, we engage in Paul's letter to Philemon as a biblical framework that prayerfully will stir your hearts and minds and souls of all of us here this morning. And and the title of my message is is, is Strength to Love, which comes out of Dr. King's book, Strength to Love. In the book of Philemon, uh, Paul is an admitted old man at the time of writing it, and he's in prison. And Paul writes to a recent convert to Christianity, or he's writing to a recent convert to Christianity who was part of the church in Colossia. The foundation of this letter is a request by Paul to Philemon. The request is that Philemon receive Onesimus, a man named Onesimus, no longer as a slave or useless property. Rather, now in Christ, Paul is writing to to, uh, Philemon that he now sees Onesimus as a fellow human being, as a brother. And Paul is writing to Philemon because this slave, the man named Onesimus, had come to Paul while in prison seeking his help. And it's important to note that in antiquity, ownership was a common practice of the elite class, the privileged class. However, the slavery in antiquity, unlike our slave history here in the United States where there was a wholesale transatlantic slavery and lifelong servitude for African American slaves and their descendants, such lifelong hardships was not the case in antiquity. However, all that being said, let me be clear, we're talking about slavery. The buying and selling of fellow human beings as a commodity. It is because of this injustice that the Holy Spirit empowered by Paul writes the book of Philemon into the church. And he's, and he's basically trying to have them understand what King would have said in his letter in the Birmingham jail that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice what? The change in this master and slave relationship that Paul is setting forth in his letter to Philemon is a monumental shift. from from the culture and customs of the day. It's a monumental shift because Philemon legally owns Onesimus. But Paul writes him and says it may be legal, but it's not what God desires. That Onesimus is better than a slave, and he is now to be considered a dear brother. No longer shall Onesimus be seen in the limited light of a master-slave relationship. No longer shall Onesimus be limited to a power-to-powerless relationship, or a have-to-have-not the relationship. Paul powerfully declares to Philemon, in the name of Jesus, the man whom you have named useless has a name, because that's the word that's actually in the Philemon text, that Onesimus, by by Philemon's understanding, is useless. Paul says Onesimus' name means useful now. That you thought he was useless, you thought he was less than, you thought his life didn't matter, but now in Christ, he is part of your corny of fellowship, you are to see him differently. In verse 15 of the one chapter, it says, perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, no longer uh, as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's a very dear to me and even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Commenters have remarked regarding that particular verse, this verse brings Paul's plea to a climax, and that Paul's statement of verse 16 is the magna charta of true emancipation and human dignity. In essence, the Apostle Paul is telling Philemon then, and each of us today, that upon coming into right relationship with Jesus, all our relationships, young people, will be up for review and may be in need of redemption. All our relationships. When I was uh, closer to your age, there was a time I was your age. Um, I met this young woman at EMU and we started dating and, you know, falling in love and, you know, what you do in college. And uh, turned out I thought she was the one. How many of you have ever thought they were dating a one? Some of you are like, I can't because they're sitting next to me. <laughs> that's why I did it. I just wanted to see. You might want to raise your hand now. because. And so anyway, she was the one. And, and so I wanted to take her home to meet the family because that's when you know the one is the one, right? And it was in Harrisonburg, and I live in Philly. It's a five-hour drive, and so she comes up. and But I needed to prepare my family. My wife. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was a Latina. And, and so the, the, the reality is that in my family, because of a variety of reasons, my grandmother I had grown up in an environment where Puerto Ricans was a dirty word. They were seen as less than, seen as dirty, seen as taking the jobs, labor jobs from African-Americans. And so for my Nana growing up, the language that was used in my house was quite common, and when you grow up in that, you just assume that's true. You just assume what your parents or grandparents say is right. Now, when I got to college and high school, I, I began to think through myself, but how many know that sometimes things are hardwired in your brain or in your, in, in, in your system, and so your words and stuff like that. Am I the only one? All right, every, wow, I didn't know all of you had that issue. But, so anyway, so, um, is this on? OK, I want to walk away, that's why. Uh, and so, and so I, I, I wanted my Nana to, to, she lived with us, I wanted my Nana to, I wanted to prep her because I, I didn't want to be embarrassed at the dinner table. And so I said, Nana, you know, um, I met a young woman down in college. She goes, oh, baby, that's wonderful. It's like, yeah, Nana. Now, the other piece that you should know is that my Nana had, well, she was pushing 90 at this point, and she had started to develop Alzheimer's and a little bit like that. But for the most part, she was on point. But every once in a while, her, you know, she would lose her memory and stuff like that. But so that's part of, the, part of the story. And so so I'm like, Nana, yeah, I met her. I said, her name is Rosalie. She goes, oh, Rosalie, just like my cousin Rosalie. Mm, no, not really. <laughs> She goes, oh! And I said, yeah, well, she's coming tonight, uh, tonight to dinner, and, and, and I wanted you to know. And I said, Nana, um, and I actually itch, because when I get nervous, I itch. I go like this. I said, Nana, um, um, she's a Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican? I love those people. <laughs> what? Okay. Now, either the Alzheimer's made my Nana forget, that she hated Puerto Ricans, or she loved her grandson and said, I'm going to love the person that you love. I tell you that story is that we all have prejudice. We all have things in which we hold on, that we're holding on, that has been hardwired in our DNA, that we have to be real about if we're going to move and be part of a beloved community. And Paul gives Philemon new language, new words, a new way of expressing who Onesimus is. Can you imagine being a, quote, slave owner your whole life, and this person has been subservient to you, his life really didn't matter, and now, because just of church, you're actually supposed to change how that relationship is? Well, yeah, people, In Philemon, Paul calls Onesimus my child and son, not slave. He calls him useful, not useless. He calls him, he's a man of my own heart. He says, Onesimus is my beloved brother in the Lord. He says that that Onesimus is going to stand in In other words, Paul is trying to give to Philemon new words, new language, so that he can interact with his brother in a way that's consistent to being part of the beloved community in Christ. How many know some of us need new words, new language, in order to be able to interact in right relationship? Paul seeks to teach rather than condemn Philemon, if you notice, Philemon. Philemon. Because in order to have the strength to love, we got to be willing to teach rather than condemn. Onesimus was created in the image of God and to seek his own purposes and gifts. And, and, and Paul is writing to Philemon and saying, you can be part of that. That Onesimus is human and because of his humanity, his life matters, Philemon. And for Philemon, the slave owner, a person in power, a person who's privileged, this would have been a radical revelation because, again, he was a property owner. He had accumulated wealth or inherited wealth. He was literate. He was educated. And, and Philemon knew without a shadow of a doubt that his life mattered. And even though even Paul, the apostle, was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus, he was self-described in the New Testament as his life as being privileged because he was the Jew, he was the Jew of the Jews. Paul is well-respected. He had power. He was a Roman citizen akin to our own American citizenship that allows us to be privileged in the world. Therefore, Paul had, had an unfettered access to the Roman Empire, so he had power. He knew his life mattered. My point is that both Philemon and Paul were part of a system, as we are today, where they knew without a shadow of a doubt that their lives mattered. They didn't have to think about it. They were benefiting from it. They had choices, they had dreams, they had possibilities, they had options. They could go wherever they wanted to go. They they, they could live and purchase whatever they wanted to buy. They had a job or a career. They They had a future as many, if not all of you, here do. But that was not the case for Onesimus. As a slave, he was living in an abusive system where his choices were controlled and restricted. As the underclass, Onesimus' desires were limited to his master's desires, and his options were few, and dreaming was a luxury he could not hope for. But at some point, praise God... Onesimus heard the full gospel message about Jesus directly from Paul. Scholars believe that, because at then it was just house churches, scholars believe that Onesimus was obviously a servant in the house, and so Paul had come to Philemon's house to have church, and Onesimus must have been serving food or something, and as Paul is preaching, he's hearing about this man named Jesus who loved passionately, forgave often, and how he had come into the world, not just to do good deeds, but to take on the sins of the world, and then this miraculous thing happened called the resurrection, and that death is not the final answer, that, that, that he rose again and that was that was in him is now in us and we can walk in that and so when Philemon I mean when Onesimus heard that he said he said oh my goodness that's for me and he had heard that Jesus has saw there's no Jew or Gentile there's no slave or free and and so for Onesimus he is saying I want to be part of that community. He actually believed that relationships would change, that he would no longer be viewed as a slave. He would be viewed equally upon coming into a corner of family, upon coming into church, upon going to Goshen College. But he found out it wasn't. He found out that it wasn't. He found out that it wasn't, and that broke his heart, as it broke my heart many years ago at EMU when I was a college student. When you think you're in as a person of color, and then you're not. When you think you're one of the boys, and you're really not. In both theological and practical terms, Paul is demanding of Philemon what he may not have fully known or anticipated upon coming into the faith in Christ. And I would dare say many Christians today, not those here, but those out in the snow, many (laughs) Christians, that was a joke, just to... What kind of theology is that? No, I'm not. I would dare say many Christians today still either ignore or fail to embrace. The Holy Spirit calling to our hearts, our minds, and our soul to see and recognize that the enemy has set up dividing walls of hostility that are meant to keep us apart, that are meant to destroy us, that are meant to limit us. But in Christ, they always, back in antiquity and even today, they are always meant to come down. The wall for Onesimus and Philemon, The wall was master and slave. But what are the walls we face today that need to come down for you, my young people? Race, gotta come down. Male, female, that wall's gotta come down. Class, wall has to come down. Politics, Help me. It's gotta, it's, gotta, it's gotta come down. I'm not really committed on that right now, but I'm becoming more and more like Christ. I haven't arrived. No, it has to come down. I would be remiss if I only communicated Onesimus as a victim in this narrative. This is not the case, because the reason I believe Paul sent Onesimus, who some commentators believe had run away, as a slave, I believe the reason that Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon as an equal is because I believe Paul sought to save Philemon's soul. There is something insidious about a system that allows those who are privileged or those who are power to believe that they're better than. There is something that begins to gnaw at your soul that is difficult to recover. I believe Paul feared that Philemon would not fully engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ if he did not see Onesimus as his brother. In our text, Paul recognizes that Philemon's very soul was in jeopardy. And though Philemon may not have recognized it, and though you may not recognize it, those who are in a privileged position uh, right now, Philemon needed Onesimus more than Onesimus needed Philemon. The second observation is that Paul appears to Philemon he appeals to agape love. In the original it says in verse 8 therefore although in Christ in other words Paul is (laughs) Paul is funny He, he He's got a weird sense of humor, kind of like me. So I like Paul. He he says, although in Christ, what you got to know is Paul is the apostle. He's an elder. He has been suffering. He's a spiritual. He you know he's a spiritual rock star. <laughs> he could have quite easily, from a position of power, had just told Philemon, stop it. Like I love telling my 12-year-old, stop it. My 18-year-old, stop, it doesn't work anymore. She says, Poppy, don't forget that there will come a time where I'll be taking care of you and I'll be able to tell you, stop it! <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> See, that's a shame. All you young people, that's all you're going to remember about, th- about this whole message. You're going <laughs> to go home and say, Mom, Dad, this pastor said when you get on my nerves, I need to remind you that one day I've got to take care of you and I'll be in control. No, that's not the message today. Paul appears to Philemon in love. Agape. In the original language there in verse 8 of Philemon, the word agape is translated into love as it is in much of the New Testament. And unlike our limited language of love, love songs, R and B, I don't well, I don't know what you guys listen to. R and B. You know, it, the word love. It has a higher understanding, because in our context, when we talk about love, you know, we use the same word love for my love for my wife, Rosalie, and my children and family. And we use that same word love to say I love coffee. And they're not, they're close, but they're not the same. (laughs) Agape love is unique in that it's all about self-sacrifice. It's all about self-sacrifice. It's not about you, it's about the other. So listen anew to the uh, passage of, uh, familiar passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Listen anew to it. Uh, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, I don't have time, but it says there in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have what? Love. love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging simo. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. I'm sorry, brother, I just saw you, you were like. <laughs> uh, knowledge, and if I have faith that can move. What did he say? What did he say? <laughs> I haven't always been Mennonite. I'll t- I-, I can take
4: you. I can take you.
0: <laughs> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am, and this is, you know, you know <laughs> and this is what love is. All the stuff that we don't think about. Love is patient, (laughs) it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. For the other, Not not for me, for the other. And what is often forgotten is that these words, though spoken at marriage ceremonies, and I've done them myself, they weren't written for marriage. You know who they were written to? Church. That's how we, who are in the church, are to interact with one another. That's agape love. And Paul is saying to Philemon, you are now to treat your former slave not only as a brother, but you are to love him with a self-sacrifice and think of him first. That's a monumental relational shift because when you're in a privileged position you tend to think of who most? Come on. <laughs> Yourself. And this is the reality of any win- privileged relationship. My time's getting away so I better Skip down. That's when in African American tradition, someone in the back of mother would say, Pastor, preach on. But you guys are like, No. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. My sermon's getting a little long. All right, there we go. I'm not ashamed to beg. I'm not. And let us remember how does Paul appeal to Philemon on behalf of? of Onesimus in order for this monumental shift to occur. Remember, Paul had power himself. He could have easily told Philemon what to do. He could have used his position of power, but he didn't. He could have used reason. Paul could have appealed to Philemon on the basis of a moral law that slavery is incompatible to the human dignity of all people. He would have been right, but he didn't. He could have appealed to science. Paul could have sought out to use a scientific framework against slavery and its, and its obvious impact on the mind and the body of the slave, and he would have been right, but he didn't use that. He could have used a political persuasion, which most of us tend to go to first nowadays. Paul could have taken a, a poll, perhaps a slavery census of sort, enabling Philemon to be ahead of the curve and, 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 and do the right thing, that times were changing and he needed to move with time. He could have done that, but he, and he would have been right, but he didn't. He could have used guilt. <laughs> right? He could have used guilt. Come, you know, come on, we all know how condemnation and shame, you know, guilt is okay to the extent that it moves us, but guilt, at least the condemnation keeps us stuck, right? And so he could have used guilt. You know, I'm a parent, you know, guilt works on kids sometimes, amen? Yeah. Come on now, I know it does, but it's not sustainable. He could have used guilt, and, and let us not forget, especially for us who are Mennonite and Anabaptist, Paul could have used violence, Paul was a violent man. He could have said, if you don't do this, I'll take you out. That's right. But he didn't do any of that. He could have threatened him. He could have sent out a nasty tweet or something like that. (laughs) But he chose love. King is right. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only can do that. For it's only love that can go beyond change behavior and transform our hearts. Only love has the capacity to forever change our minds and our motives, our focus and our faith, our purpose and our plans. Agape love is self-sacrificing love, which is far less about how we feel and what feels good to us. Such expressions of love have their place, don't get me wrong. But agape love in a beloved community and a of fellowship is less about us and more about the other. And for those of us who historically have been in a privileged position most of our life, if not all our life, it's not about you. It's about those who have not had the same benefits and opportunities that you have. Paul is appealing to Philemon to go against the tide of his culture, to go against what we would call today nationalism. And Paul had to do this because on his own, Philemon wasn't going to see Onesimus and the Onesimus of the world as human. His heart had to be changed. Philemon had yet to deal with the incongruity of being both a slave owner and a Christian. Up until this point, Philemon had yet to deal with, with, with his wealth and his power in a world where there are so many without. And this is why the Apostle Paul boldly guided the Holy Spirit to write Philemon. Lastly, as I try to finish up here, In the closing cluster of verses beginning in verses 17 through 22, we find language pointing us towards the crux of the purpose of Paul's letter to Philemon and the crux of the Koinonia fellowship, the crux of the beloved community. We have to have the strength to love in order if we're going to be reconciled to God and reconciled one to another. This is what it says. This is important, so I'm going to read it. So, if you consider me a partner, Paul writing to Philemon, Welcome him, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, change it to me. Paul, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ, confidence of your obedience. (laughs)
5: Love,
0: Paul. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. He writes, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. We see in these words that it wasn't enough for Philemon to see Onesimus only as human and have him work and live in the same house, worship the same God, even sit in the same pew or sit in the same convocation or go to the same college or go to the same church Sunday after Sunday. He writes to to, uh, Philemon and says, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Give him the same level of respect, love, care, whatever, as you would give me. The Apostle Paul knew, even then, what King would write an echo about later. History is long long in a tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privilege voluntarily. Paul said, you got to do the right thing. You gotta see Onesimus not only not as a slave, but see him not even as, but yeah, and see him as equal, and see him with value. For Paul, love is indeed a verb, and therefore demands action, and that's what he is calling him to do. The first sign that he talks about is welcome. Philemon is to welcome Onesimus no longer as a slave, rather, is to be seen and viewed and treated as if his life matters. In fact, Onesimus, upon his return home to Philemon, he is to be treated the same as Paul, a fellow believer in the Lord. In other words, a beloved community that is reconciled to God and to one another will be a place where all lives matter, especially the least of these. Not only the Pauls of the world, or the Philemons of the world, or the Yoders of the world, or the Millers of the world, or any other Anabaptist-related name, but also the Onesimus of the world, the Dows of the world, the Johnsons of the world, the Diazes of the world. Our lives matter as well. Philemon is told by Paul to put Onesimus' debt on my tab. Paul's posture is demanding that just as God has extended grace and mercy to him, he was to extend it to Onesimus. Friends, according to scripture, a sign of a reconciled relationship is not only, is not only diversity, it's not even only inclusion, though that's important, it's the equitable distribution of power and access and resources in other words we want to stay at diversity but we want to keep our power we want to include people but we want to keep making the decisions Paul is saying to Philemon all that has to change in God's kingdom amen a reconciled relationship is obedient to God All right, I'm sweating. I can't even move now. My shirt is sticking to me, so I'm going to finish. Oh, come on now. What class are you? I'm going to go to your class. So what happens after this letter is received, right? All this is good theology. All this is good stuff. Most of you here are not against that. But what happens when, quote, the proverbial rubber hits the road? Well, historians uh, tell us, that, that, that you, know, you know, did, in other words, did uh, Philemon have the strength to love? What happened to Onesimus? In Colossians 4 9, we find Onesimus listed with others in whom Paul valued from this house church. And listen to what reconciliation leads to. It says this in this verse about Onesimus. For I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. Our faithful, beloved brother, who is one of your number. Onesimus is in. The former slave is now a brother in the church. Oh, that's it? That's good news. He is no longer less than. His life is no longer secondary. Paul is writing and including Onesimus with the great men and women of Scripture, and Onesimus is in. Thank you. <laughs> but it gets better. Check this out. Brother Onesimus, his historians is not in scripture, but the church, church fathers, you know, did all that writing. Not only is he a brother, scholars in the first century, the first century martyr St. Ignatius, written about 50 years after the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And in the letter, he is writing to the bishop of Ephesus, whose name I can't pronounce, so I didn't write it down. Um, You got to know your lane, right? You got to stay where you can. I I couldn't pronounce it. I tried all last night, and I couldn't, so I left it. So, but in this letter, 50 years after, there's a brother named Onesimus. And scholars cannot say without 100% surety that it's him, but many think it is because of how they describe him. And Onesimus' title is bishop. The slave. The man whose life didn't matter. The man who served others. the man who society would have thought was less than. Because of the gospel message and Paul's word to speak up as I spoke this morning and do something, this slave becomes a bishop, becomes a leader. Diversity isn't enough. Inclusion isn't enough. These are great movements. Equity, getting to a place. Another way to understand this, being invited to the dance is great. Being invited to dance is awesome. But there comes a time in which the music needs to include my music. The venue needs to be in my neighborhood. And the same opportunities that are given to others need to be given to folk that look like me. Friends, when we by God's grace have the strength and courage to make the least of these lives matter, then slaves like Onesimus, then his brother from North Philly, get opportunity to come out to the heartland. Is this the heartland? Is close enough for me and the privilege to be before you. May this Goshen community, may Goshen College, like Paul who wrote to Philemon, have the strength to love in abundance. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen.
1: closing, I want to invite you to participate in some exciting opportunities after Convocation. To my beloved Goshen College community, we have some afternoon sessions that I invite you to engage with. Our first session will start at noon, and we'll have the exact same session at 1.30, where we will engage in thinking about how we live out our beloved community here at Goshen College. I'll have two colleagues come up and explain what our workshops will entail. After this announcement, we have two information booths where you will have the opportunity to be a part of the larger Beloved community here in Goshen and in Elkhart. So after these announcements, I'll have you come up and share information that you have.
6: Can we just have another round of applause for all of our presenters and for Leonard's words today? I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm feeling empowered to do something. Uh, my name is Kendra Yoder, and I am faculty in the Social Work Department. I'm Jewel Lehman in the Kinesiology Department, and we are both on the MLK Planning Committee and are inviting you to join us for some workshops this afternoon. You are the beloved community of Goshen College. You are it, folks. Look around. Say hello to each other. Um, but it isn't, as Leonard has pointed out to us, it's, it's not something that's a given. It's something we have to work for and at in a very intentional, committed way. So we invite you to this workshop, not because we have answers, but because we are committed to this process with you. Uh, we, we're going to do some hands-on um, building, working with wood, thinking about wood. We're going to think about um, Dr. Reverend King's words and... Um, uh, tools that he's given us to think about how we build and develop uh, community and develop a culture that isn't just embracing of diversity uh, and inclusion, but also doing the hard work of equity building here. So join us uh, as we do that. We will be meeting at noon and again at 1.30, and then we'll have a closing town hall meeting from three to four. So please come out, join us for these sessions. This is our term turn to listen to each other and to do the hard work we need to do here at Goshen College to be uh, the beloved community. Thank you.
5: Good morning. I'm Brian Mirau from the Center for Healing and Hope here in Goshen, an organization that's been around 17 years. We provide urgent clinical walk-in type uh, urgent care for people who don't have insurance, people who don't have a physician. However, at Goshen College in the past year, something new was burst, and that has also impacted the Center for Healing and Hope. So not only the medical side of urgent care, but now also the psychosocial side that offers hope to our community in significant ways. My friend and mentor, Richard Aguirre,
7: had a lot to do with that. Thank you, Brian. Through the grace of the college, through the encouragement of the college, and the inspiration of the college, I started a network called Elkhart County Hope, which which is designed to support refugees and immigrants. And its home is now the Center for Healing and Hope. And our first major initiative was the development of a Goshen resident identification card. And there'll be a table outside where you'll have the opportunity to sign up to get this card. It's designed for the entire community, but of special use to immigrants who when they have situations where they run into uh, police officers, um, if they don't have a form of identification, it can be very difficult for them. So about 200 people have gotten this card so far. The majority are Latino immigrants. But you have the opportunity to support this initiative by getting the card also. So we hope you'll consider that. The other thing we hope you will consider is supporting our campaign to stop the proposed immigration detention center. You can go online and see our coalition on Facebook. We've had many activities that have been quite successful. We encourage you to be involved in this. We believe it is an issue of justice uh, to treat people fairly to people treat people humanely, and we don 't think you can do that by locking up people whose only sin or crime is trying to better themselves and their lives by coming to this country so
5: on january twenty fourth we 'll be right back here in College Mennonite church offering a time from three pm to seven pm takes about five minutes actually to register for a grid card and you get You get a nice pin out of it, too. Uh, Some other perks, if you like the electric brew, you'll get a 15% discount on all your drinks. Or if you like pretzels, Jojo pretzels will give you a 30% discount. Now, the deal is, the more of us that participate that don't really, quote, need the card, we do this very thing of building value around diversity and inclusion and even equity. So I encourage you to consider that, it's $20 for a card. There are scholarships for people who have uh, difficulty paying for that. You can pick up a little blue sheet at our table and it tells you on the back the three types of identification that you need to bring. And local address is Goshen College. You're here most of the year, so uh, we think you qualify to be a Goshen resident ID card carrier. Thank you very much.
4: Hi, good morning, my name is Jason Schenk. I'm with the People's History of Elkhart organization. Um, And I'm here um, partially to speak about today, but also um, you'll hear more uh, from Hilberto uh, at the Town Hall at 3 about a partnership that we're working on for the coming months uh, between uh, some of the community work that, that I'm involved in in Elkhart and with student life here to try to explore opportunities for the kind of things that, that Leonard was talking about. Where does the rubber meet the road? What are the tools we need to take seriously the, the core values that Goshen talks about, um, whether it's on campus here, on challenges that you're running into dreams or things you want to accomplish here on campus um, so find bringing in broader resources whether that's um, around cultural competency um, training on on facilitation other skills that you want to have as part of your um, clubs or student organizing um, as well as bridging into the broader community um, some of the efforts like to say the Tolson Center in Elkhart or um, around uh, some of you Uh, Remember, who was here when Sarah Thompson spoke last year about, uh, all right? Um, So she spoke about uh, picking up the unfinished business of of Dr. King, looking 50 years later, right, and talked about the Poor People's Campaign. That's uh, a national call for moral revival. That's another uh, effort that's going on. There's organizing happening uh, throughout Elkhart County and across the nation, actually, Um, over two dozen states have signed up um, are working towards a thousand people doing civil disobedience from um, Mother's Day to the summer solstice this year to take on what Dr. King talked about you know those triple evils of systemic racism poverty and militarism and saying actually we have to add the ecological devastation to that we can do this together and we need to do it together. So so I'll be out there to um, Connect if you want to have conversation. We'll also have an open space after the town hall after you hear a little bit more from Hilberto. But look forward to being in conversation today and throughout the coming months. Thank you.
1: So the tables for the two community organizations will be near the fellowship hall. Thank you all for being here, and I hope that you're able to continue to be engaged for the rest of the afternoon. Take care.